You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Welcome back to Counterculture here with Marie. And as we do this time every show, it's time to welcome back Marty Gibson, who's been across in the Western Isles. Good to have you back, my friend. G'day, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, I know. You had a week across the ditch. How was it? Yeah, it was good. That's good. You've got to get away. It's good to get a little bit of time by yourself if you've got young kids and you're married. It just makes you appreciate people and all the more, and even better, it makes you a lot more appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) So I came home to a lot of appreciation, which was nice. Oh, that's um, lovely. And of course, you were over catching up with family and had some time in in the big smoke in the Sydney. We texted a little bit while you were away and you said there was a Lots of tradies running around in shiny new vans and, and things yeah. did appear a little bit more prosperous. It's quite funny because I've come back to stories about um, various Kiwi movers and shakers heading to Australia, Tam- mm. uh, Tamsin adding the uh, wallpaper ladies moved to Brisbane and just saying, you know, she got done in five weeks, what she couldn't get done in five years here. There is just that feeling that things are being built and you, I look at the tradies and they've got new, well set up vans and they're moving faster. If you've ever had a job where you've had to hire people and make money off what they do, it makes you keenly aware of hand speed. Mm. And mm. I, I noticed the hand speed's greater. And yeah. and it's like they're kind of getting a job done so they can move to the next job. Whereas with Kiwis, sometimes you look at them and the hand speed's slow, so they draw out the job in case there's not a, not another one. I don't think things are necessarily on all fronts better across the year. But the one thing the Australians have uh, by advantage is just purely size and scale. I mean, we yep. this is the thing we forget. I think New Zealanders are very, we, we're wonderfully optimistic about what an incredible nation and people that we are. But sometimes actually I think we forget our inconsequentiality, that the fact that we are so small. We punch above our weight, but we are only five and a bit million people. Well, yeah, and, and then we add things to it like we don't use our natural resources the way Australia uses theirs. You know, the whole importing Indonesian coal and not using ours, the whole shutting down our natural gas and burning, yeah, brown Indonesian coal doesn't help. (laughs) Business is really starting to get a bit fed up. That was one of the things that I certainly picked up this week. There seems to be a little bit more around business. There's Fran O'Sullivan looked at the whole business confidence angle. And actually, even Andrea Vance covered off some business in terms Mm -hmm. of things softening in China, which is something... I'm acutely aware of as as the day job, we do actually have some business relationships with China. We need to be careful in this country because we have long put far too many Kiwi eggs in the dragon basket. And Mm. I think diversification, the fact that we haven't diversified because it's just been easy and it's been there, when the brown stuff starts to hit the fan, I think we could, I think there are already businesses starting to see impacts on that. And it is quite concerning. And and you also saw some pro- productivity numbers as well that worried you. Well, no, it wasn't productivity numbers so much as as the product. It was a big girl, Derek Ching. Derek Ching always writes long articles and they're pretty sound. They're not always the liveliest, but he does. This is in, actually in Monday's New Zealand Herald. But he did a, a good uh, analysis of the Productivity Commissioner's report. Towards the end of it, there was a... Uh, criticism, there is also a perception the commission is too left-leaning, which the report does little to dispel. And yeah, I can go through that and it's like the numbers are staring them right in the face and it's the things that we just rattle on and on and on about. 
you can't expect good outcomes when decile one schools are leaving fewer more than three percent of the children who go through it from decile one schools for 10 years able to be functionally literate and numerate. That's the problem. If you're a Maori leader, you can blow on about how racist New Zealand is, but if you're not really laser sighting in on that as a terrible injustice that these kids are doomed to be unable to meaningfully participate in the workforce as any more than uh, minimum wage workers doing terribly unfulfilling jobs, then really you have to ask, well, are you there for them or are you there for yourself? And, and you know, you can just see these guys sort of find that and then just like an addict relapsing, just going straight back to identity politics. So it says, the chances of experiencing one form, so one form of persistent disadvantage, are three and a half times higher than average if you don't have a high school qualification or are renting a state house, two and a half times higher if you're Pacific, twice as high for a sole parent, 1.7 times higher if you're disabled, and 1.5 times higher for a Māori. So, you know, you're sort of going downstream of that education figure. And I think if you broke down the education attainment by, if you really wanted to do that, which you don't really need to, by race, then you'd find that you go right back there. Stats NZ's 2021 wellbeing report shows groups with life satisfaction below the average rating uh, include disabled people, solo parents, the unemployed, people with a household income of $30,000 or less. It doesn't really show Māori are that disadvantaged in that. It quotes, and, and this is again, when, when Nana was appointed as a commission, so this is Nana Ganesh, who's the Productivity Commission chairman. When uh, he was appointed as commission chairman, actually David Seymour called him an outspoken critic of capitalism, adding, we're not going to be able to afford better pharmaceuticals or a cleaner environment if we simply ignore it and decide to measure nebulous concepts like loneliness, inclusion, and identity. He told the Herald it was a the report latest report was a good example of why the Productivity Commission needs to go. National Party leader Christopher Luxon did not respond to a request for comment. They should have been all geared up, waiting for this thing to drop, and had a really eloquent vision that they could basically bounce off this about why they were going to do better. Well, you know it, damn well that if if this was given to Stephen Joyce. He yeah. would have not only have given comment, but he then would have given his view of how to actually fix it. Christopher Luxon falls into another bucket of tits and comes up sucking his thumb. Mm. Then old Ganesh says, defends himself. Some might see it as tainted, but I would push back quite strongly on that. Well-being is unfortunately a politically tainted word in the New Zealand vocabulary, but it's being used across the world in terms of objectives for economic and social policies, he said. The OECD uses well-being. The IMF uses well-being. New Zealanders are being maybe a little bit naive in thinking that well-being is just a hobby horse for the left. It goes across this political spectrum. Now, again, I would say he's being a little bit naive in thinking that those organizations aren't looking to foist global Marxism on the world. And as I've often said about old uh, Chipkins and uh, Dialida, they're a screen and a keyboard. The mm. uh, the CPU is in the WEF. And also, do you need to look at what well-being is a euphemism for? And yeah. well-being is often a euphemism for bringing people down to the lowest common denominator, well, which, of course, is Marxism 101. 
Yeah, the Commission's report identifies four main barriers in the public service and government. Power imbalances, those relatively well-off looking after themselves, siloed and fragmented ministries, short-termism, and institutional racism and discrimination, including the ongoing impact of colonisation. Um, the colonisation card got played. Yeah. Shocker. But he's, he's saying this is best addressed by centrally supported, locally-led, place-based solutions that honour Te Tiriti or Waitangi, which is also a central tenet of the Future of Local Government report released for the same time as a fair chance war. Now, I do agree with that. I, I do think if you're going to um, solve this, you do need to have local people given some resource to identify and solve local problems. And he did identify, the commission highlighted the work of particular programs, including Manake Tairafiti and the Southern Inst Initiative in South Auckland, which put whānau at the centre and provide multi-agency support. Now, uh, Te Tairafiti, as um, many of you will know, is uh, Gisborne, where uh, Maria and I, um, okay, uh, our ancestors, uh, lived in the same small rural village. So I looked it up, and, and you know, without being unkind, the people I saw who were in charge of that, with one or two exceptions, are very much the people who like to be king turd of shit hill. Mm. They're the people who normally hold themselves up as the spigot through which the largesse of government should travel through in order to keep it bumping along in last place. I could think of a lot of people I would have put in that organization who would probably um, might not make the same nice brochures or presentations, but probably would have been the sort of street fighters you'd want to really get in there and shake things up. Mm. Uh, they're very much connected with various ministries. They're connected with the boys' clubs and the pink-sealed Eastland group. You know, I would have put a GP in there. I think if you put a GP in there and, and said, okay, what are the problems and how can you get to it, that would be a great way to get some of those hard-to-reach families. GPs spend a lot of time frustrated. They are patch-up guys. Mm. You know, they give people antibiotics because, you know, they could teach them to dig a garden, but They've got 10 minutes and they've got a kid with glue ear. Some of the stories my old man used to t tell me about going into a house where there'd been a cot death, getting in there and it's cold. And there's a, an empty fireplace. There's no wood. There's two young men sitting around smoking inside, looking sad, not really doing anything. You could really channel some of the frustration that people working at those coal faces feel. Mm. And there's a fine line between education and simply just coming across like you're telling people what to do. And a lot of the educational resource that I've seen, particularly across the COVID era and even prior to that, just sort of reeks of this, you're going to do what you're told that you're supposed to do. And I have yeah. to admit, if I was on the receiving end of that, I'd be like, F off, you know. And yeah. I think there's been a lot of that. There is no dignity. There's no respect. As you said, there's nothing on the coalface. And one of the other things that drives me insane with this whole colonisation and race baiting card is that it turns everybody on its head and it says that if you fall into one of these marginalised groups, you are therefore a victim and you're stealing away all aspiration. And if you're a kid at school, if you want to achieve, one of the things that will drive you to achieve to get you out of whatever situation that you're in is some sort of great aspiration. And what have they got to aspire to? I can see why there's more of these kids going into gangs than there are cops. Yeah. Because and crime. And because yeah. that's that is it. 
That, well, that's it's, it's, all they're seeing is aspiration. Where yeah, is it's the, removal of agency. It's one of the things I said uh, when I was returned to academia briefly, <laughs> you know, was do you think that white privilege is that when there's something rotten in our culture, we can excise it? We can have a good, honest look at it, and if it if it's wrong, we can cut it out. Whereas we patronizingly tell Maori that if there's something going wrong for them, it's someone else's fault. Mm. So it removes agency from them, and and they can't look at some of the things that maybe aren't working for them, like not valuing education, like not turning up to medical appointments. Mm. And then when you have supposed role models. Who have received everything, the education, the advantages that many in that situation can only dream of. Yeah. And they're lauded as a role model. And you literally have raised and lifted this person up to aspire and lead. Oh, I know who you're thinking about. Oh, yeah. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah. And how many times you and I have actually had her, and I'm talking about Kitty Tapuelan now. I had a rent last Friday. I know everybody. I'm still there. I haven't de-rented yet. You and I many times have had stories about her that we've just never got to in media matters. There has been a pattern of bad behaviour with her for a very, very long time. She is an example of what I call piss-poor political parenting. Right. Classic example of it. And she has had everything there. She is somebody, regardless of your politics, that could have actually been a role model for people within her community to look up to And what has she gone and done? She has acted like the spoiled brat that she probably is. She's probably never been knocked down other than the big health scare. She fought through that. But there is a level of bad behaviour. And it's not just with Kiritapu. And the whole media circus across the weekend of oh, no, you must be nice to Kitty, and this is all about mental health, and you can't do this, and putting the suicide numbers in there, and please be kind to her, be kind to her, because feel sorry for her, be kind to her. Look, I'm not in her head. I don't know how she's feeling, but I'm sure she feels like a bucket of pus right now, and I don't deny that. But sometimes when you're the person shoveling the shit, sometimes the shit flies back, and she she needs to wear that, and she hasn't developed any political resilience over this. And why is it that they are giving her a free pass? Is it because she's wahine Māori? Do you I want me to I, tell you what? Go on. You've got a theory on this. I can feel it. I've got a theory on Not this. Not me from ranting. There's zero political capital to be had by holding women accountable for their actions. Maybe that's good. Maybe it's bad. What people are tying themselves in knots to address is that women aren't men. Mm. You know, it goes right back to when the fuse was lit on the destruction of Western civilization, probably, you know, partially when the contraceptive pill came along. Suddenly it was assumed, well, you know, now women don't have to worry about getting pregnant. They're sexually just like men. And so a lot of this Me Too stuff, you know, this hyper, you've you've got to get consent, is basically a return to an acknowledgement, well, women aren't like men. The culture wants to destroy us. They want Mm. to take us off the board. I mean, women aren't like men. They want us to be completely neutral. I'll throw women an olive branch here because I do love women. Don't, ladies. I love you, but you frustrate me sometimes. (laughs) And I will say to men, you know, I mean, it is tempting. It is tempting to think, well, ladies, you kind of watched and tut-tutted while we were getting our balls ripped out through our wallets, while we were getting hammered, and now you're getting hammered. You don't like it much, do you? But Mm. I think we've got to kind of step back from that, especially those of us with 
daughters and I have two daughters and understand, well, we're in this together. We've got to, and I'd say, I say this to Māori all the time, you know, you've got to know your enemy, bro. You yeah. know, it's not me. Mm. Um, so we've got to get together and, and identify that we're, we're basically um, the subject of a pretty well orchestrated, carefully planned and masterfully ex- executed psyop. Yeah, absolutely. And the behaviours too. It's And that's why I call it political parenting, because you and I are both parents. You know, you all go through challenges when you're parenting. You don't know what you don't know. Mm. And one of the things that you learn with parenting is that you've got to set boundaries, you have to enable positive behaviour, and you've got to pull back on negative behaviour. You've got to create resilience. And the way that you create resilience is you've got to let the little suckers fall flat on their face from time to time. Mm. And a lot of that's been stripped out of it. Yeah, there's a great line in that wonderful book, and I can't remember who wrote it off the top of my head, The Road Less Travelled, very famous, one of the first real good self-help books written by a psychologist, where he said the wonder isn't that people are messed up. The wonder is that they're not so much more messed up than they are. And, you know, as I've gone through my own parenting journey, I've often thought, man, this is quite challenging and I've got a stable marriage. There's no legal problems, gang affiliation, mental illness, drug and alcohol issues more than the usual, and it's still really challenging. Imagine if you're trying to do this by yourself with some, with a whole host of those other problems, the wonder is that people aren't more messed up. Then they are, yeah, absolutely. I get really angry though with heading now into the pointy end of the election. I'm getting really frustrated with the number of people. And when I say the number of people, our little friend Christopher Luxon, you you did right on this. There is so much political capital there that they need to be grasping hold of, but they're not. And even there's been praise in the paper that, oh, they've not used the Kiritapu situation as a political football. If this were a man in the same situation, they potentially would have. Again, I'm not in her head. I mean, she'll be feeling awful, I'm sure of it. But at the same token, she is just another minister at a long line of exceptionally poor behaviour, which filters down from the top, and they have not led they have not provided boundaries. They've not provided mm. any form of good parenting. I mean, two words, Trevor Mallard. Um, I mean, one of the the biggest bullies in the house and the worst possible behaviour of any minister of the crown in this country's history. And what do they do? They give him a plum job in Dublin. Yeah, that guy should be what driving a message in a does that send? You know, there's an, another theory of mine is the paradox of young politicians. You know, everyone thinks that they bring youthful thinking, but I think it attracts slightly narcissistic people who, you know, haven't integrated the shadows so it's easier for them to have those messianic complexes they get mentored by older politicians and that embeds a series of behaviors in them and because they're so busy talking about how great they are they never really take a good look at themselves and i mean kitty tapu allen will come back from this when she's older and uh, i think she could be a great new zealander agreed i'll, I think I'll say that once she's internalized yes. her shadow and she's she's no longer having to pat herself on the back the whole time and blame everyone else for anything that goes wrong. She could be a part of the solution, but um, those student politicians, they're part of the problem. Because the level of potential that she has there is tremendous. And I think, I hope that she does learn from that. And whether or not it's in politics or whether or not she uses it in law, I don't know. But that resilience 
It's about picking yourself up. And if there's anybody that can give a masterclass on resilience, it will be the person that just got 5% on the, the Roy Morgan poll yesterday. Mm, here yes. it comes. We're talking about Winston Peters, if you haven't caught up with it, Roy Morgan's monthly poll dropped yesterday, and we saw a shift back from Labour. There was a three-point shift back from Labour and uh, an increase with National, and for the first time, uh, New Zealand first hit that 5% threshold, and also two top received 4% in that poll as well. Now, I've just spoken to Helen Houghton. Helen's a new Conservative Party leader. She's just been on the hustings. She's been really busy in her electorate in Christchurch. And one of the things that her people are telling her that this is the election of the minor parties. And the top leader, he's in Christchurch as well. I think he's standing in Islam. Will he probably win the seat? No, he won't. But there is a swell and a move for these smaller parties, and we're just following a trend that is being played out in countries around the world. I mean, the Spanish are now in deadlock uh, yeah. with another minor party just flipping a seat up there. So the overall societal swell away from these overtly Marxist ideas, and especially the cultural Marxist ideas that have been pervasive over the last five years, I think there is a little bit of an awakening of the populace. You know, the one fatal mistake I think our Kiri Tapu made is she actually forgot who employs her. Mm. And it isn't Chippy, and it isn't the Crown Services, it's us. Yeah. It was the voters of Tarafiri and East Coast. Those are the people who actually have her there. Um, yeah, well, and there's all those sayings around that when the public knows everything about the government, there's freedom. When the government knows everything about the public, there's tyranny. And, you know, when politicians fear the public, there's freedom. When public fears politician, there's tyranny. And we've really, you know, swung hard toward that self-congratulatory, know-nothing, administrative, we-know-what's-best patronising crap. On one side, we've got that. And on the other side, the perception anyway, I think, is that we've got this corporate toadying kind of corporatist, soulless, detached from regular people kind of way of seeing the country. Mm. And, and you know, like those two ropes, if you follow them up, they meet at the World Economic Forum. If you join that Marxist government-based way of looking at things with, with corporatism, you get fascism. And so people are really understanding that they don't want to go towards that, I think. Yeah. And I mean, Christopher Luxon's told me twice he doesn't want my vote. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I'm anti that mandated vax without true um, informed consent and bodily autonomy. Oh. So if you're saying that he doesn't want my vote on that, and Peter Williams made some very good comments about a public meeting he went to in Wanaka where people said, why didn't you meet with the protesters? And he said, oh, well, we can uh, disagree without being disagreeable. And there was a bit of heckling. And he said, well, you know, if you don't like it, that's my answer. If you don't like it, vote for someone else. Well, be careful what you wish for, Christopher. Mm, people are feeling disillusioned, really, really disillusioned. I had a lovely lunch over the weekend. It was someone that I'd met. I, it was my first sort of speaking thing that I'd done after I'd started this job. And I was invited up for lunch. Were you? I was. Are I you going to say well? It was here in Napier and it was sitting on a hilltop. It was the most perfect bluebird day. 
honestly, one of those days that you would write sonnets about was so gorgeous. Sitting up on the hill, looking out across the bay, there were two dozen people there, the most diverse, interesting group of people. Thank you so much to Andrew and Janet, the hosts, because you gathered this incredible group there. And there were some people there from um, the lovely Alison Goodwin from NZDSOS through to um, my neighbours down the road. She is lovely. Um, From from my neighbours just down the road to uh, a whole bunch of people that I'd never met before, uh, uh, large business owners, uh, farmers, another farm that I know from my my, my day job life and incredibly interesting group of people, somebody who actually works in the international uh, peace movement for for war prevention. So this incredible dynamic bunch. And to have several hours to be in an environment where you could speak openly and freely and there was lots of discussion and debate and ideas were being thrown around and and not everybody was on the same page on, on many issues, but what we were together and on the same page about was the fact that none of us felt that these conversations could happen in other than an environment like that. And what does that say about our society? That we've gotten to that point where censorship and self-censoring within a societal realm, because if you don't, like as you said, if you don't, because you would disagree on one particular thing, like you disagreed on the mandates or you disagreed about taking the COVID jab, that you get applied and stuck with a label and put in the disagreeable bunch. Or framed as being dangerous and an enemy to public health. And, and yeah. you know, there's a deliberate, I think that the lack of vision in, in what the National Party is saying, certainly in, in Labour, like if you try and get a vision out of it, it's like, oh, equity. Or, um, well, tacitly, Māori to have veto over any decision that's made via co-governance. But I think that lack of a common vision is deliberate. The way I often think about it is, I don't know if you've done any uh, whitewater kayaking, Marie, but... I you know that that's a rhetorical question. You do know the answer <laughs> to that, don't you, Matt? I've got a mental vision of you doing it, but it doesn't. Yeah, no. I'm not sure that you have. First time I really had a go at it at some challenging white water was uh, right in the back of uh, a river in Venezuela with a great mate of mine, and uh, we were going, uh, I think, for two weeks. So we had fully loaded up kayaks, and we actually forgot our mattresses, so it was kind of uncomfortable sleeping on it. But and and we also forgot helmets. And there were anacondas and jaguars and stuff. Something I learned after the first couple of sections is when you, you're flowing on the river and you're seeing this big whitewater section coming up, you really don't want to go towards it. It's much the same way as, I guess, people who are getting shot at. It's really counterintuitive to run towards it. But you've got to. You've got to paddle towards it because if you just sit there floating along on events, you, you can't manoeuvre because you've got no speed in the water. You've got to paddle towards it as fast as you can so you've got the momentum to steer around rocks or you know dodge things or find the channel. I think there's a good parallel to be had with having a vision for where we're going as a society and getting some momentum up to it. So I've always advocated, well, look, you know, let's just make full employment around an objective of, say, replanting rivers, restoring nature or, or producing food. And that momentum then allows us to do other things. But if we're just sitting there going, oh, everyone's mean to me because I like wearing a dress or, oh, you know, I 
people are racist or oh the world's about to catch fire and boiling i noticed there's the latest phraseology oh, yeah it just absolutely it makes us puts us entirely at the mercy of events that lo and behold the people who are owning the media are often instigating it's a way of disempowering us and we've got to get a vision we've got to form a common vision and we've got to start moving because there's a lot to be done there is a tremendous amount to be done and it is all again about those parallel structures it's about creating something new and i remember talking to peter mortlock you know about a month or so ago at from city impact mm. church that was a really good interview too i, I changed my opinion of that guy i, I thought he came across so well well and isn't this really interesting because as someone who doesn't sit within the christian world i don't know a lot about the christian world i dabbled a mm. bit as a teenager but it's not where i come from just as people who don't agree with taking the jab slapped with an ad hominem, so too have so many within that modern church movement. Yeah. It was really interesting to hear them talking about how when they were helping with the floods, they wouldn't show any of House of Breakthrough. And I've, I, I must apologise to Norm MacLeod. I've, I called him Norm McLean, who's another friend of mine in Gisborne. He and Peter Mortlock's churches, really, and no doubt Brian Tamaki as well. Yeah, um, and it's the ch and charity, really though. This is mm. the thing. You don't actually hear about all this genuine, incredible charity work that is actually going on behind the scenes. You only hear about it if there's government involvement and some political capital that goes along with it. The rest of it, it's like it's completely invisible, but it's going on. Mm. And they're actually achieving something. They're not in it for the glory and the PR. They're just getting down, rolling up their sleeves, doing the work. And I, as I said to Peter, you've created these parallel networks. And how, how long has this been going on for? And he's, you know, best part of two plus decades in terms of education and all of these different different areas. He said, because we just had to and just got on and did it. And wow. What Ford a, momentum. What a, well, exactly. A little less hooey and a lot more dewy going on. A little on, bit um, less waha and a bit more kaha. Another point you brought up, looking at the, the trio of opinion pieces from the Sunday paper, Sunday mm. Hill. Of course, Shane uh, came out for his mate Kitty and was like, don't be mean to Don't be mean to Kitty. I didn't even read that. Oh, no, don't. You know, you didn't miss anything. Heather Duplessy Allen, though, she, as I mentioned before, her and Stephen Joyce were one of the few that have been critical with what has gone on. And the other thing that happened that got overshadowed with the bad behaviour was the former Revenue Minister, David Parker, tossing his toys. Mm. Big toy. Yeah. He threw yeah. his calculator out of the cot. Yeah, Thomas Piketty's book on the subject for years. That's a French you know, neo-Marxist economist that he he just adores. And if you look through Thomas Piketty's ideas, they're Marxist. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's well, speaking of those, you just needed to travel a little bit further down the page to my favourite young person of the year, Hill. I didn't even read that either. I did. And the reason I read it is that I agreed with the headline. I thought, God, well, God, it's a bit of a rough day when I'm agreeing with something that he's written. And it was social media is not as powerful as a vote. Yes, agree. Yeah. So I thought, oh, this is promising. I'm going to dive into this. However, despite the spike in young people interested in politics, we are left with a conservative government afraid of upsetting the status quo. Mm. When he is calling 
the most progressive neo-Marxist, culturally Marxist, left-wing government that we've had in this country's history. Show me the progress. A conservative conservative government, you know you've got problems. The government that comes into power determines whether Aotearoa will take bold climate action, pass legislation to protect vulnerable groups from hate speech, introduce fair tax systems, improve student housing quality, lower rent and housing prices. The list is endless. Now, what was really interesting about that list is that Chanel obviously doesn't keep up with what voters are really concerned about. And it was nothing on that list. Oh, the bold climate action. What would borrow more money and send it through corrupt corrupt financial markets to nuclear on power, yeah. power station building nations? So Chanel had some numbers. As of June this year, only 59.71% of 18 to 24-year-olds are enrolled to vote, whereas 96.87% of 60 to 64-year-olds were enrolled. 97.5% of 65 to 69-year-olds were enrolled. And 99.48% of people aged over 70 are enrolled to vote. The statistics are staggering considering 18 to 24-year-olds are the second largest eligible voting body after the 70-plus group. There is hope, though. The Greens are advocating for climate action, the fair attack system and quality of affordable housing and protection for the marginalised communities, and Te Pāti Māori have similar policies. Again, on the list, and if you're looking for some of these issues, and I think I sent this to you, Radio New Zealand have got their Flourish Data piece of information. They did it during COVID. They've done one for the election. So they've gone and taken all the polls and they've taken all the, the data that we talked about a few about a month or so ago around what people are concerned about. And they've gone and placed that into some really, really, really good graphs for you to look and map at. And they are great. And so one of those is the data around the data stuff that is around what are the concerns that people have coming into the election. And it, one of the things it shows is how way back in, I think was 2010, we crime sad. And you watch that crime uh, yeah. line just go up. And it's now the number two issue behind the cost of living. And it just shows you where all these issues bounce around. It is worth hunting out. It is a really, really good piece of data. They've done a great job. Now, the only thing I pray for is they don't stop putting this data out, which is what they did during COVID, once it started telling a story that they didn't yeah. want to tell. Yeah. And things got all magicked away. But at the moment, it is there. And I feel like saying to Chanel, oh, sweets, you need to pop on and have a look at that. Because obviously that's what you're worried about and that's what you think people should be worried about. But the reality of it is, is that you obviously don't have to worry about feeding children. You don't have to worry about the cost of putting a roof over your head. You don't have to worry about uh, whether or not you can afford to put petrol in the car or get those extra groceries or whatever you need, the the device that you have to organise for the kid next year to go to school. Yeah. I mean, even though people are worrying about it more, there's probably, I don't see the kind of analysis of the implications of that increasing concern about crime that there really should be. It's not just people getting ripped off or feeling unsafe. What it is, is the degradation of our high trust society. A high trust society is a prosperous society. Once you start losing that trust between citizens, it just calcifies all of these things. You get poorer. Well, the social contract was a wee bit wobbly prior to 2020. Wow. And then I mean, Dear Leader came in and lit a bonfire under it, in my opinion. She I completely mean, destroyed uh, it. 
Well, and, um, and again, you can get yourself really hot under the collar if you think, did she do it deliberately? You see, know, I, you know, my stomach also won't let me go there, to be quite yeah. honest with you. How often during that period of time were we told that correlation doesn't, doesn't mean causation? I mean, it was drummed into us from 2021 when a certain thing got rolled out. And people were, you know, dropping like flies and even with the excess deaths. And let's normalise the fact that it's okay for 18-year-olds to keel over and uh, have a heart attack in the middle of a, a practice. Well, I mean, that's yeah, just I mean, quite normal. You were saying before about crime. Um, the crime stats are up something by about 22%, but the n- prison numbers have dropped by almost exactly the same number. What a coincidence. Coincidence. Yeah, and for me, I, I'll, I'll say this at least once every second show. Again, it's not necessarily that we're saying, "Hey, this is this is the correct way to see things." My primary concern is, "Hey, we should be talking about this. We should be talking about the fact that New Zealand's excess death rate is in lockstep with the vaccination rate." If you look at the OECD numbers, you know we're up kind of twenty-five point eight percent above where we should be now. 10% is, is extremely high. That's a worry. The fact that it's not in the media is an even bigger worry. Uh, an even bigger worry. Very concerning. And, and you know, I'd welcome, I've heard David Seymour saying there's no excess deaths. That's concerning. But don't just um, say it's a conspiracy theory. Let's talk about the data. Mm. Let's talk about, you know, if you were wrong and you found out you were wrong, would you come clean? I don't think these guys are at the point where they would. They were going to ride this all the way down. I see Sky News is coming right out and publicising, you know, that... Uh, Sherry piece. Yeah. Mm. So, saying, well, yeah, it, it uh, looks like it probably was a lab leak now, mm. you know? Yeah, that was front page of The Australian, which I think was while you were there, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and they, Sky News, followed it up on uh, Sherry a couple of nights ago. And, yeah, and there has been, there was a hot, if you want to look that up on um, YouTube, there's a hot mic incident with that as well. It's interesting you bring that up because just rolling back to Winston with the numbers on that poll, and that those numbers, that poll was taken before his announcement in Whangarei. Now, the announcement in Whangarei was a full inquiry around the COVID. Not uh, led by politicians. Not led by politicians, exactly. Because Not having politicians define the uh, the scope of it, which is always the way yeah. they kill any actual uh, conclusions that they might not like. And the difficulty, of course, is that when you, it's as you said, if you're somebody with that political capital that with, who's in the system right now and you've been so voracious around your positioning, how do you roll that position back? If you're Seymour, how do you roll it back? If you're Luxon, how do you roll it back? Well, at the moment, they're not rolling it back. They seem to be doubling down. Mr. I don't don't vote for me then. Meanwhile, we've got the equivalent of a jumbo jet full of Kiwis crashing every three weeks with the loss of everyone on board and excess deaths. No one's talking about about it. Stop gaslighting us. Stop Mm. pissing on us and telling us it's raining. Mm. So... To that, I pulled out a book and I showed you the book before we got started. I pulled out a book. I read this, I re- just reread it. I read it when it came out in 2020. I just reread it recently because I'm desperately trying to get the author on. I'm, we're, we're fishing at the moment. We're bouncing backwards and forwards. And it is called The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Ooh. Sense by Gad yeah. Sad. Gad is great. He's a Lebanese-Canadian 
who is a professor of psychology and he does marketing and behaviors. But there's a little passage here I want to read you about a concept that he calls ostrich parasitic syndrome. Of course, the desire to deny reality extends far beyond science. The human capacity for deception and self-deception is enormous. In fact, some scientists suspect one reason our intelligence evolved, as it has, is so we can successfully manipulate others. In the service of such manipulative intent, we have evolved a parallel proclivity to self-deceive, which protects us from betraying our duplicity. The first step in being a good liar is believing the lie. Mm. Well, again, they, they've weaponized that even further because, you know, I was looking up oh, the World Weather Attribution Group and I was trying to find out more about them. You can't find out, you can't find anything that's critical of them. And we've already got, it looks like, a news guard set up to filter out anything. And, and everyone, of course, remember Dear Leader saying, how can we fight climate change if people don't even believe in it? And so, you know, she's busy making sure that we can't have access to that information because how can she do what she's going to do if we don't think what she wants us to think? I've really noticed in the past couple of months, especially, that the, the search engines are just not giving contrarian views. Yeah. I, well, look, I think it's been like that for a very, very long time. Yeah, it's been getting worse. Mm. It certainly is getting worse. But you know, with speaking of that, I mean, the other great line that we didn't get to in Heather Duplessy-Allen's uh, column was she quotes a first-term MP felt courageous enough to stand up in caucus and address the Kerry Allen car crash, telling them, we can't pretend that we haven't known about this for two years. It's even more telling that someone then leaked to the media that that had happened. I've been playing a game with myself that I mentioned where when I'm watching Chris Hipkins get interviewed, you can try this too, dear listeners. If you see him get asked a tough question, watch him swallow. It's like he's gulping down a dead rat. It's his tell that he's about to talk crap. It's great. Actually, I read that line as well. And that I wonder when that backbencher stood up because, of course, the Labour list came out. And in light of the current polls, there is sort of a line in the sand at around 40 where anything below that is looking like it's not going to head into parliament. Framer Sullivan uh, made a really good point about that. She said the 20 or so MPs who know they stand to go out on the tide the same way they came in at the 2020 election are not going to rock the boat politically in the meantime in the rather naive belief that keeping their heads down mean they will be saved through a highest ranking at this year's election. The upshot is that policies which should have been vigorously contested within the Labour caucus before being promoted as government policy weren't. And you notice the same people responsible for that disconnection of dissent have done it to us too, which is what I was just talking about. Yeah, exactly. It's like turning the alarms off in a mine. Which is why is that backbencher one of those 20? Where are these leaks coming from? Maybe people have got relatives that have got vax injuries. Maybe maybe it's starting to weigh on their cons- conscience. I mean, I, I saw Chippy take in a especially big swallow and say, Labor's got a really deep talent pool. It's like <laughs> as deep as a car park puddle in summer. Oh. It was in 2017. It hasn't gotten deeper. 
if he had a talent pool as deep as one of the potholes in the Napier Taupo, maybe he's in with the bull's rule. But <laughs> no, certainly not, not from that perspective. And that's just it. Stephen Joyce summed it up when he described, he opened it with when he was rattling around Apery House and he would, you know, go upstairs to the ninth floor and you'd have a discussion and you would talk about where things were going and things were great. But then he talked about when the Longy Douglas relationship broke down. And again, that's why the, this theme of correlation versus causation. He didn't out and out come and say it. I heard Hipkins pressed on it yesterday morning around how really is his relationship with Grant Robertson? Because we know that that is what Joyce was alluding to, that that relationship is broken down after the captain's call that Chippy has made to turf the wealth tax to the curb. And you know that Grant had been working on that for a really long time. So he's not happy. And then you've got David Parker, you know, tossing his calculator out of the cot. It seems that Inner Sanctum is not a very happy place right now. And you don't want that, you know, 70 odd days out from the election. The fact that Labour and National are still neck and neck, it never ceases to amaze me. I think that National uh, National should be ashamed of that. There was a big uh, article about Christopher Luxon and... Uh, it didn't really say much new, you know. Luxon has a sunny view of capitalism and the capacity of multinational corporations to be a force for good. That's what I was talking about before, about people see him as a corporate drone. Mm. And uh, if you've ever worked in a corporate environment, you know that it uh, weeds out creativity at the bottom level. So by the time you get to the top, you're pretty sure to not be that creative. He pushes back when asked whether his pursuit of success in the corporate realm was consistent with his maxim to always serve a higher purpose in life. He says, uh, you know, would he have worked for, say, a tobacco or mining company? No, no, no. I could never do that. No. I think businesses have a role to play in society to strengthen the society they're part of. He's obviously forgotten that his campaign manager was a tobacco salesman. But that's okay because yep. he's hired Mary Lambie now. To yeah, how's that going to go? Mm. It's going to make them more self-conscious, I think. I have met Mary. I know her. She's um, she's a really lovely lady. With his time spent in the corporate world, you kind of would have thought that he would have had this bedded down by now. But obviously, as as we all know, he doesn't. So I'll be intrigued to see what happens because I've actually used Mary's professional services in my other life. So I know what she's capable of. And she's her and her husband are very, very talented. I will be waiting to see what changes there could be that could be influenced by them. I'll be intrigued. The big thing that's always highlighted is his lack of appeal to women. As I said, <laughs> the big problem is there's no political capital to be had making women accountable for their actions. So, you know, I don't know how he's going to get get around that. Oh, look, you just need to, you know, stick Thomas the Tank engine on and uh, look at Sue Bottom really pops. Well, anyway, sorry. I'd, I'd stick with my uh, my suggestion to him that uh, features tell, benefits sell. I'm still hearing him say, you know, we're going to get in and fix this. And it's like, okay, and, and then what? Yeah, how? Well, again, this uh, release of the Productivity Commission's report that if you read between the lines and and you weed out their reflexive relapses into just Marxist orthodoxy, it's education. And so you can mm. say, doing the basics brilliantly, it's like, hey, look, if you get a kid who goes through school and at the end of it can't read or do maths, 
he's uh, basically going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel for a tremendously unappealing job. If that kid learns to read and fulfills their potential in maths, the world can be their oyster. Exactly. Anything else grab you? Oh, you know, look, I had a week uh, last week where I didn't open a newspaper. Good for you. I'm not as match fit as I might have been. It was quite interesting seeing Mitch McConnell uh, in America. Again, you know, we get very CNN-esque reporting of American politics. What, um, looking a little vacant in front of a microphone. Just the uh, geriocracy that uh, is going on in, in uh, the States. Diane Feinstein, almost 90, wheeled off in a wheelchair in a hospital, won't give up a seat. And, and you know, in years to come, we'll look at the baby boomers from a greater distance. But like you and I both have baby boomers we love and, you know, our parents and all that. Mm. But a generation that was in love with youth and idolized uh, youth in a way that had never been done before shouldn't come as any surprise to us that they, they're terrified of dying. And I think that's why they were so compliant with the, well, yeah, uh, with the measures. Yeah. You know, you've got these basically senile old fools who have been bought and paid for just still in those positions Mm. where um, we need other people. My dear mother, who I love to bits, when all of this was going down, because, of course, you can imagine, listeners, I mean, this is why this job is so good for me, because I get to rant and rave to all of you, and it gets it out. Instead of just you and me ranting and raving. Yeah, instead of you and I ranting and raving, Mr. Marie and Mrs. Marty having to deal with us ranting and raving, (laughs) uh, which happens a lot. So I got quite ranty, as you can imagine, during that time, and... Huffing and puffing away. Yeah, and and my mum, bless her heart, said something to me that really stuck with me. And it was actually even before the rollouts and all of that kind of stuff. And, and she said to me, darling, she said, all your father and I want to do now is live a peaceful life. And I think that there are a lot of people of their ilk that have got to that age and stage where they just want to live a peaceful life and they will do whatever they that yeah, someone I just tells want to get to things do. back to normal. Actually, I yeah. will tell you, when I was in Australia, I caught up with a couple of mates. One of them is agonising because he's trying to buy an apartment opposite Central Park. He's just got a job with the world's biggest law firm and he needs um, twice as much money in the bank as he's, is the cost of the apartment in order to, to get in there. So he needs 10 million bucks in the bank. And I was talking to them about The Voice, and I was saying, man, you, you know, you guys are getting lined up. I was sort of giving them my various theories about, you know, how Indigenous peoples are being used as a stick to mm. delegitimize the the presence and take the fight out of people for their country. He said, oh, you know, I mean, I think it's fair enough. They get a voice, and this guy's a lawyer. You know, I said, mm. you know, once they put this legislation in the Constitution – and you then get, you say, yeah, but it's got to be tested in the courts. And I say, yeah, then you're going to get activist judges setting all sorts of crazy precedents, and it's not going to help actual Aboriginal people, a lot of whom don't even want it. You're going to form a, you're going to form an activist group that are going to cause terrible division and will actually thrive on poor outcomes for Aborigines as a way to beat people over the head with a stick. And they were just kind of, yeah, just wanted a peaceful life. You know, just, oh, well, it's, you know, we should do something for them. That's the thing that we've been trapped by. It's kind of like, well, do you care about, you know, if granny dies or not? No, it's weaponized kindness. Yeah, yeah. It's weaponized kindness. And then shut down the debate. Yeah. 
70 odd days ish to the election. So there's going to be lots to happen. I'm still having a little giggle though, actually. Here's the other thing I'm having a giggle at is, as you know, uh, Nashi stood down because there's so many of these Labour MPs that have disappeared in the last little bit. I mean, what five cabinet ministers? It's, you know, far out. It's a, it's a very, very busy revolving door in that beehive. Anywho, our Nashi isn't um, standing again. So we've got a new uh, Nashi clone because obviously the Labour caucus decided to keep hold of Napier. They needed to install a candidate, which essentially is Stuart Nash. Nashi too. Yeah, he is Nashi too. <laughs> I haven't been able to discern anything about him that is different from, from Stuart. So I thought, okay, well, yeah, look, that must be an aberration. No, no, not an aberration at all because in East Coast, I mean, our kitty tapu has gone and what they've gone and done is obviously they believe that to win and retain East Coast, you must have a brown gay MP. They've dusted off Tamati. Tamati's not going to go quietly into retirement and he is going to to stand up in East Coast um, for Kitty because of the quote-unquote, uh, what did he call it, tragedy of what had happened. Hmm. Tragedy to whom exactly? But anyway. So, uh, I uh, think his father was. Is it um, his father that's up uh, in our direction? Nati Pro, yeah. Yeah, so I definitely know he's got roots to the area. But I did actually have a little giggle. You know, first they did a, a Napier clone and now they've just done an East Coast clone yeah. uh, because that's obviously what they think the winning formula is. Mm. Jesus, they, they are, I think, running out of ideas. I do believe they're like they're like the pigeon pecking the button to get a a treat, a bit of bread. Yeah, yeah. They do have that thing. Well, what's good for me is good for Labour, and what's good for Labour is good for New Zealand. So, <laughs> uh, hey, look, we want to hear what you guys think about all of this. Email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio or twenty fifty seven is the number that you can uh, flick us a text to. We love hearing. From you. We've had some fantastic feedback. Actually, I flicked you a bit of feedback yesterday, Martin. And we've had some wonderful feedback, actually. This one is from Tracy. Hope your day is going well. Please pass on that I love Media Matters with Marie and Marty, the dynamic duo. I could listen to them all day long. Tracy, you are far too kind. We're spoiled for choice here with RCR. Very grateful to have such high caliber talent and guests. So, you know, we do appreciate it. And there was a whole bunch more I sent you while you were away to. To keep you feeling me up, shipper. Keep my mind on the job. Oh, thanks. Exactly. And, and of course, political panel, I sat in for you last Friday. Yeah, didn't say much, but when I did, I got a bit ranty. So I think it's time that I hand the mantle back. And yeah, uh, well. you'll be back with the team on Friday. Oh, good. Well, thanks to Tane for uh, for standing in for me on Media Matters last week. Yeah, um, bless him. Tane did a great job. It was so, it was, it was so sweet. He, he was... I have to say, Marty, he did show us up very organised. Yeah, right. Yeah, oh. not, not not like us old exes, us Gen Xs. We were like, you know, we were a bit more wing and fly by the seat of our pants. But, uh, yeah, I have to admit, I was like, wow, Tony, this is actually really impressive. I might give him a call and ask him what he does. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. He's very organised, much more organised than you and I. Hey, look, don't disappear. Uh, Woke News of the Week is still yet to come. And again, if you have any feedback, inbox at realitycheck.radio in 2057. Thank you as always, Marty, and we'll catch up again next week. Yeah, thanks, mate. Have a good week, everyone. Take care. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio.